This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Erin Thorpe. She's a highly accomplished civil engineer, keynote speaker, writer, and coach. Erin specializes in supporting leaders who grapple with conflict, communication challenges, and high-stress situations. And in this episode, she will explain to us how to approach tough conversations with the confidence that you need in both your personal and professional life. I'm your host, Jeff Perry. I'm the founder of More Than Engineering. And this is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast brought to you by EMI, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. Now it's time to jump into the main segment of our episode. Today, I have the pleasure to have with me Erin Thorpe. She's an empathy expert and a leadership development coach and speaker. Erin, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to meet you. Erin, you've got a vast background, and so I'm curious to help our audience understand about your background and experience in the engineering and construction industry, so we can connect with that, how you navigated in such a masculine-dominated industry. We know it can be a lot of challenge for a lot of the females out there in the industry, so tell us a little bit about your experience there. I grew up in a small town in northern Alberta in Canada, and you know, when it came time to decide what my career was going to be. I was presented with two options, nurse or teacher. Neither of them appealed to me. So I ended up taking what was then the university catalog because I'm ancient, so I'll date myself there. But I took the big binder home for the weekend and, you know, flipped through it and found this faculty of engineering, which, you know, prerequisites were all the courses I loved to do in high school and thought, why not give it a try? It sounded like something I could immediately get a job with afterwards and didn't have to do a postgrad degree. So applied and and moved to the city. And from there, as part of my schooling, did an internship in construction, fell in love with building things. And I had an amazing experience during that 19 months, I guess. It was between third and fourth year where I got to see, participate in the estimating, tendering, building, and turnover of a three-story office building. So not a super sexy project, but I got to see all the phases of it in that 19 months. And I think that was just what kind of sealed the deal for me in terms of, you know, this is really rewarding work. And from there, started my career in construction upon graduation. So it wasn't always rainbows and sunshine, as all of our listeners will, if they have any background in construction, will be able to relate to. So yeah, did some, you know, a few years with direct project delivery for a general contractor, did a few years in technical sales, repping some construction products and services, and then went to the owner's side as well. Uh, So still leading construction, but from the owner's side. So I've seen all aspects except the design side of the construction world. It never appealed to me, just my own personal preferences. I love to be close to the action, so to speak. And super rewarding work, definitely rode a lot of ups and downs throughout that career. And I'd say this conversation started about 15 years in, 
I was starting to be recognized as, you know, one of the more senior females in the industry. And I'm, you know, looking and I'm like, I'm 35. How am I a senior female in this industry? But being invited to this conversation that was really focused around how do we keep women in engineering and in construction. And it was interesting because I was starting to definitely feel like I was being pulled in two different directions. I had a young family, a marriage, and this career. And it was sort of like, how do I juggle all of these balls and, you know, keep everybody happy. And it was around that time as I was stepping into my own leadership career now in the engineering and construction world, raising a family, trying to stay married, do all the things, that it really became my eyes opened up to this leadership experience and like, how do I want to be a leader and what has my experience been with leaders in this industry? And I'd say that's kind of when I started to get curious about what makes a good leader, you know, what has my experience been, starting to reflect on that, starting to look around, starting to have different conversations with direct reports of mine, what do they need from me as a leader? And then our daughter, our oldest daughter, got diagnosed with some learning disabilities and, you know, kind of turned our personal world upside down. So I ended up taking a step back from my career. And I think in that time away, gained a lot of clarity around what really fired me up and what I was passionate about. And so when I came back into my construction career, I spent a lot of time putting to test these theories that I thought made good leaders and, you know, tweaking and kind of trying to live, walk the walk, so to speak, or walk the talk. And from there, just started to put my hand up when there was opportunities for leadership development, coaching, worked internally at our construction company for as a leadership development coach and and trainer. And when the pandemic hit, it was the opportunity for me to step out into my own space and to work, you know, more broadly and to have a bigger impact in our industry. That's kind of the dense version of how I got to where I am. In the space where primarily in your construction career, you know, masculine dominated industry, some of the things I've heard from other females, multiple sometimes in the industry, is that they get feedback that as women, they're too emotional. And that's an interesting thing. You and I might argue that perhaps maybe some others in the industry aren't emotional enough, but I'm curious if you ever had that experience for you personally as well. Uh, yes, is the short answer. Uh, it was the first and only persistent form of feedback that I had gotten in most of my career was that I was great at everything else, but just way too emotional. My perspective on it has definitely shifted in the 25 years that I've been in this industry. I think when I first got the feedback, it very much was like, I'm going to take this feedback and I'm going to work on it and I'm going to become less emotional, you know, and I'm really going to try to fix myself. And I saw myself as being broken. Like I didn't have this capacity to be a robot and I didn't have this capacity to keep my emotions at bay when tough decisions needed to be made or when big things happened on construction sites. And then I went through a period of time where I sort of rebelled against that idea of me being broken because some of my experiences on construction site was seeing a lot of emotion just expressed in a very different way. Hammers thrown across the room, chairs thrown across the tables, doors slamming, people yelling and screaming, fists banging on tables. This is all a form of emotional expression. It just looked different than mine. But apparently that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. That's really what you meant is like, don't cry, but you can throw a hammer. So then I kind of went through this like stage where I rebelled against I'm too emotional because I was like, I'm too emotional. Look at you. 
yeah, I think rebellion is like the best way to describe kind of that, you know, maybe seven to 15, 18 years where I was just like, I'm not doing anything about this because you're not doing anything about this. You know, you're just as emotional as I am. It's just coming out in a different way. And I think where I'm landed, you know, in the last kind of five to seven years and where I'm currently today, first of all, as human beings, we are emotional beings, all of us. We all have emotions. They are information and they are there for a reason. I think the work all of us have to do is in better understanding ourselves first and the emotional responses that we have to different situations. You can call them triggers. You can call them stimuli, whatever you want to call them. But, you know, how do our own emotions get triggered and how do they come up? How do they manifest? What does that look like and what do they mean? And then we have to build the capacity to sit with others when they're having that emotional response because it's all information. So it's been a journey. And absolutely number one piece of feedback, I think myself and most of the females that I talk to in the industry get, just because our expression of emotion is very different than the accepted norm in construction right now. And it's something I can relate with personally from the other side, where I, for years and years and years, became a very well-practiced emotional suppressor. And I think on the the negative side of the male side, like that's the expectation, that's, you know, the masculine ideal in a lot of ways. And sometimes it actually works against us to do that because we aren't, like you're talking about, aware of the emotions and what's really going on inside of ourselves. And we're not connected with what other people are experiencing so we can work and collaborate with them well. So that importance, and I know this is something that is so important to you now with incorporating empathy and improving emotional intelligence into how we lead and interact and connect with people and work with people in the workplace is so critical. Tell me about what that looks like now in some of the work that you do, how you help people kind of get in touch with that, whether they're coming from either side, suppressing the emotions or expressing it in different ways, how you help people connect there now. So I see like the emotional suppressor and the overly emotive. So whether you're yelling, screaming, banging, crying, basically the where you can't control, let's say, or you're unable to hold the emotion are just two symptoms of the same problem, which is this real lack of emotional capacity, because neither are helpful in any situation. You know, if you're ruled by some emotional response or you try to suppress this emotional response, you're really lacking a lot of information that those emotions are trying to tell you. It's almost like, you know, you're in a new country with a new car and your GPS doesn't work on your phone. So you've picked up three different roadmaps, but you're not really following any of them and you're just trying to wing it. You know, you're missing a huge piece of information, puzzle piece, so to speak. So the work that I do now First and foremost, probably starts with planting some seeds within our industry of engineering and construction around, hey, empathy is not just this soft skill that some people should maybe have. It's actually a necessary, like powerful skill as a leader and as just an individual participating in our work. Our training as engineers, we do a pretty good job of getting ourselves into the minds of our customer and practicing empathy in that way so that we can design the right thing, build the right thing, have something that's saleable at the end. Um, so whether you're doing a road network or a, a software project or a, an engineering you know, building, whatever, you have to put yourself in the seat of the customer to deliver a product that they're going to like. And so we're good at that 
when it comes to the team that's actually delivering that body of work is where we fail to bring that same skill set. We rely on our overly logical, rational brains to solve complex emotional problems with human beings that just doesn't work. And so high level, my work is around, you know, planting those seeds around, hey, let's just think about this a little bit differently. We have the skill set. We're just not using it in the right area. And then if there's some uptake there (laughs) and teams and leaders are curious about that, it moves into training the skill set and then really coaching to embed the skill set so that it becomes usable in the everyday interactions that we have. So we're no longer kind of caught off guard if somebody has a breakdown in our office or is overly suppressing and, and unavailable. We can work to bring both sides of the spectrum to the middle. One of the challenges that a lot of people have in navigating the workplace and the relationships involved there is sometimes we have to have these tough conversations. Whether you're a leader who needs to really get honest with someone on on your team or maybe another peer, or maybe you need to talk with a peer or, or maybe your leader about what's really going on and what you appreciate, that these tough conversations that might be hard for someone else to hear, they can be intimidating and difficult for some of us. I know has been for me, still is in many situations, right? So what advice do you have for people who might be struggling with these types of conversations? How can they build that confidence that they need and approach these in an effective way? So confidence comes through doing. Most people think they'll have the confidence and then they can do. And it's exactly the opposite that you have to do. And then you build the confidence to do more. So when it comes to having tough conversations, one of the best things we can do is practice with someone who isn't directly involved. And, you know, what are we going to say? How does it land? Are we picking the right words? And before you get to that practice, I think it's very important. And what I teach and train on and coach on is you have to understand what about this is going to trigger you. What emotions might come up for you in this situation? Because when you're in a tough conversation, one of the the biggest derailers is the emotions of both people get all tangled up. You get triggered. So I start reacting to your triggered emotions. Then you start reacting to my triggered emotions and the thing kind of spirals out of control. And so if you want to effectively manage a conversation that has some difficult content in it, you have to anticipate, understand, and know yourself better than anyone else in that conversation. So it all starts on the inside. We got to start with ourselves first. We think it's about the other person and it's not about the other person. It's about our own triggers. That's interesting. So how do we go through that preparation process when we're about to go into that? You know, sometimes you have hours to prep because that sometimes you may only have moments or seconds because it's just kind of thrust upon you. What do you suggest for people who are trying to prepare for situations like that? It's not a one and done. It is really a practice. And that's why I talk a lot about empathy practices, because it's something I think in my experience, like I have to continuously work on this because you're right. I'm raising teenagers now. So I get thrust into these conversations all the time where you're like, whoa, didn't see that one coming. But you got to be prepared. So the more you can practice your own emotional regulation, your own emotional awareness, your own what's going on for me today, how might I show up, the better prepared you can be for any of those moments that pop up on you. So for example, you know you have to have a a conversation about performance with a team member. This is probably something you've got a bit of time to practice for. You've been watching the trends. You've been seeing the decline or the incline, or you've been watching what's happening. What are your own emotions around performance management? So I'll just use myself as an example. Anytime 
I even thought there was a hint of a performance management conversation coming my way, I would double down to just prove them wrong. Like, I have very high standards for myself. I will push myself very hard and very far. And so I could never imagine someone else having the conversations with me that I had to have with some team members. And so right away, what came up for me was like, how can you not see this? Like, I was just very almost taken aback that people were completely unaware or oblivious to the fact that this was even happening. So my approach in these early conversations came across as very arrogant, very rude, because that's what I was thinking. I was like, how can you not see this? Instead of trying to get into their world and understand what might be happening for them, right? I was very much projecting my emotions into that situation. And so that's what I mean by the inner work, right? We've got to understand how we're showing up so that we can see it and go, "Mm, that's probably not going to be helpful in this situation. (laughs) You know, if I really want them to hear me, I can't go in there projecting this like you're an idiot kind of approach. What I'm hearing from you, like we have to do that inner work to connect with ourselves, but in doing so, that helps us connect with the other person and get into their world and what they're trying to accomplish and what they care about as well. So it's only by connecting with ourselves that we can more effectively connect with another human. And in doing so, we can then connect together. And so I want to continue this conversation specifically around this idea of like giving and receiving feedback, not just a difficult conversation, but feedback, positive, negative, and whether you're the giver or the receiver, there's a lot of nuances and a lot to that, to making this effective. Maybe you can explain a little bit about your perspective about the art and science behind effective feedback, some principles or techniques that people can keep in mind for us. It's really important to express your intention when giving any kind of feedback, because intention is often what's most misunderstood. And what I mean by that is, if you just think about why is it okay that your best friend can tell you you've got lettuce in your teeth after eating lunch, but if a colleague were to, you know, if you're out on a business lunch and somebody goes, hey, you've got a little lettuce in your teeth, you're kind of mortified afterwards. It's the same thing. They're telling you the same piece of information, but you have a different reaction. And it's because you've assigned some meaning to the intention behind it. When it's your best friend, you know they have your best interests at heart. You know that they're doing it in service of your best self. So you accept it readily. You're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. When it's the client that you're trying to win over or the new project person, you're like, oh my gosh, they must think I'm an idiot. How did I do this? Because you think that their intention is like calling out a weakness in you. It's the same piece of feedback. It's the same piece of information. So it's all about the intention that's misunderstood. And so as leaders, if you're receiving feedback and you get a little prickly when you get it, just ask, like, what's your intention in giving this feedback to me? What are you trying to do here? Because I think I might be receiving it in a way that isn't aligned with what you're actually trying to do. And if you're giving it, just state the intention up front. Hey, this is in service of you reaching that next step in your career because you and I've had some conversations about that. And so I want to offer you, you know, what I'm observing in alignment with that goal that you have. Nobody has to guess, right? So just state the intention up front. So either state it or ask for it, depending on what side you're on. You remind me just a funny story personally with the, hey, you have a little lettuce in your teeth. When my wife and I first met, um, when we were back in undergraduate school, we weren't dating or anything yet, but I was interested. There was a time that we went out to eat and she did have something in her teeth. And I said, hey, Robin, are we friends? She's like, yeah. <laughs> it was like, okay, well, friends tell friends when there's something going on. And so, you know, I let her know that something was there. 
And so like that kind of intention, like I was coming from a friend that I wanted her to. That's right. And so got your it's still kind of a fun thing that we say when either of us have something in teeth. Hey, are we friends? And we just know now like what's going on. And so you can kind of make it light and airy so it doesn't have to be heavy. And we can do that with a lot of different things. But I love that. Like, hey, I'm doing this in service to you. I had another mentor who, who told me that truth is a gift, right? Like, and when we can state that intention that we're giving this as a gift to share, to help them learn and grow, then they can see that that comes from a place of caring and love and wanting them to progress, right? Yeah. And I think all feedback that's given in that spirit of growth and development is all positive feedback, whether it's, hey, this didn't go so well, and here's what we might consider next time. It's all a gift. So stating or, or asking about the intention is like step number one. And step number two is you've got to be specific. The attaboys, the like, good job, great work, that didn't go so well, better luck next time, those don't help anybody. Nobody knows what they did well or what they did good or what needs to change. So if you're not prepared to say this specific behavior that you did or didn't do or this specific phrase that you said or didn't say is what got us to this outcome or didn't get out to the outcome. If you're not prepared to be specific, it's kind of a waste of everybody's time. We talked about doing some of the inner work on ourselves. Now, when I think about going from individual to like team or organization, right, the inner work for an organization we might consider culture. Like this is kind of who we are and the work that we're doing collaboratively. What you think about how engineers and engineering leaders can create that culture, help you know, who we are and how we interact, uh, reinforce what we want to be that, that really encourages more of this open and constructive feedback and collaboration within our teams. I think it starts with this acknowledgement that it's not either or, right? We're not asking you to become touchy-feely emotional beings without the logic and reason. But if we lean too far to the logic and reasoning and we don't allow the emotion to come in, then it feels a bit robotic and people feel like they don't belong and they feel we have feelings like all human beings do. Like it's just a part of how we were designed and it's important. And so it's about bringing, coming to the middle and knowing when does logic and reasoning and that really powerful skill set that we've spent so many years in school developing serve us, you know, when we're solving a complex technical problem. And if it's a complex personal problem or culture problem or team problem, we have to rely on a different skill set. First, because it's the feelings piece that gives us the information. It's like the feelings are the input to solving the problem. Right now, we're trying to bypass feeling and emotion and just go to logic and reasoning. And in our teams, that never works because you're missing a huge part of the input to the problem. We're talking about doing some of this inner work and connecting with ourselves a little bit. Just curious for you to get personal about how you engage in to maintain your own mental, emotional well-being, particularly when you're in high-stress situations, whether that's at work or you're raising teenagers, that can cause some high-stress situations as well. How do you personally find opportunities to recharge, find balance in your own life? It's a great question. And I would say an ongoing practice because in order to, you know, do what I do, I really feel this strong sense of being in my own integrity of, you know, walking the talk, so to speak. So, for me, some of the foundational things that have really been supportive to do this work is I do do a morning check-in. For me, it's when I brush my teeth in the morning. And so it's just a quick question around like, how are you feeling today? Like, what do you need? You know, and some days that's like 
you're really tired. You know, I just did some volunteer work the last couple of days where I had to be up later than I normally would be. And of course, you know, big situations happened yesterday with the kids. So I had less capacity to deal with that. Because I had done that check-in earlier in the day, I already knew I was under-resourced. And I was able to say to them, here's the immediate piece that we need to solve, but this bigger piece, we're going to come back to when mom's got some resources. Like, I'm just too tired to take this all on today. And that's okay. And the same thing happens with us at work. You know, if you've got 85 priorities, you're going to have to pick and choose over which are the actual priorities. So the daily check-in, whether that's brushing your teeth, drinking your coffee on your commute, I don't care when you do it, but that's part of the practice. The daily check-in, I do a lot of breath work. I do a lot of walking. A big one for me recently has been just disconnecting from technology and just having space to really think about and feel what I'm doing. There are so many ways we can distract ourselves from our feelings right now, whether that's food, drink, drugs, alcohol, you know, like social media. If you're doing something to bypass a feeling, the invitation is to sit in the feeling. What's the feeling trying to tell you? It can be so hard because most of us aren't used to it in the craziness of our daily lives. Yeah. And especially if it's a somewhat uncomfortable emotion, we don't want to sit with it too long. The fear is it's going to overtake us. What I have found to be true is exactly the opposite. The more I'm willing to turn around and look at it and go, okay, discomfort, I see you. What are you trying to tell me about this situation? The faster I can move through it. Not always easy, but that's the skill. But you're letting it actually complete the cycle instead of suppressing or exploding, you know, depending on which way you typically go. Well, Aaron, this has been such a fun conversation. So far at this point, we're going to transition to our Take Action Today segment of the show, where we'll come back and get one final piece of actionable advice from you. We'll be right back. Now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. Aaron, we talked a lot in our conversation today about giving and receiving feedback, having some of those tough conversations. I'll bet a whole lot of our listeners have a tough conversation that maybe they're avoiding right now or know they need to have and they're prepping for it. What would you say to them to take action and, and do some work today or this week that they can do to help them prep for a conversation that they know they need to have? I think often we have the wrong conversation. You know, we think it's about the late report or the missing piece of the project, you know, information. And when you truly step back and look at it, I'm going to bet for most of our listeners, there's something deeper going on in that relationship. And it's maybe about trust or respect or competence. And so the invitation today and the way to kind of take action and to put this in to really start to embed this practice, what's the conversation you really need to have? You know, is it that You've been late five times with this report and I don't trust you anymore. Like that is a very different conversation than, hey, you're late with the report again. That's not the conversation you want to have, right? It's not going to fix the problem. But if I come to you and say, we need to have a conversation about trust or we need to have a conversation about respect or we need to have a conversation about building competence, you're going to get further ahead. The time you invest in that difficult conversation is going to pay back dividends because you're actually having the right conversation. Okay, so make sure you're having the right conversation, get to the root of what's really going on, not just a surface level step. Thank you so much for joining me here on the show. I know there's probably people who want to connect with you or learn more about the, the work that you do and how you might be able to help them. Where would you point them if they want to learn more? 
I would start with visiting my website, erinthorpe.ca forward slash everyday empathy, and they'll get a free resource there uh, with five empathy practices that they can start today. And there's all kinds of different resources, my blog and, and the ability to book a call right there on the website. Thanks so much and wish you and your work nothing but continued success as you continue to grow emotional intelligence and empathy in the workplace. Thanks so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and questions. You can go to engineeringmanagementinstitute.org where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in the episode as well as links to any of the resources or websites that we mentioned in the episode. And don't forget to check out any upcoming live webinars this month at the website as well. Additionally, for any engineers who feel like they need extra help taking the next career step or finding clarity in their careers, I've created some free training resources with an opportunity to join a more intensive program called the Engineering Career Accelerator. You can find more information at engineeringcareeraccelerator.com or you can go grab my career clarity checklist found at www.engineeringcareeraccelerator.com slash career clarity. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.